Hey guys, Leah Pika here. Today's guest is known for championing a well-known voice of customer solution and is the most entertaining presenter I've ever met in the digital space. Find out who's crashing the party in Present Beyond Measure, Episode 7. Welcome to the Present Beyond Measure show, where you'll learn the best tips, tools, and techniques for creating and delivering data visualizations and presentations that inspire data-driven decisions, change hearts, and enlighten minds. If you're ready to get your insights noticed, remembered, and acted upon, you're in the right place. Now your host, Leah Pika. Hey guys, welcome to the Present Beyond Measure show, episode seven. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm like three quarters of the way to 10, which for me is very exciting. And uh, I hope you've been enjoying everything so far. Um, you know, you've been giving me such great feedback and I can't wait to keep answering the questions that you have and bringing awesome content to you. And I'd also like to give a quick shout out to some of the folks that left me a review in iTunes. Very kind of you. And this one is from Grek Pod. They say, great podcast for analytics professionals. I'm only a few episodes in right now, but I'm enjoying Leah's podcast on how to present data. As someone who has learned many of her lessons the hard way, I appreciate what Leah is teaching here and think all analytics professionals could use some improvement in this area. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you so much for leaving that review, and that's exactly what I plan on doing. So if you haven't had the chance, hop on over to iTunes to leave me a rating or review if you like what you've heard so far, and I just might be reading yours out for a big shout out here. So let's get to the episode. Hey everyone, you are going to love today's guest. He started out as a web analyst, a multi-channel strategy consultant, and usability specialist, and focus group moderator. But since joining 4C in 2004, he's contributed to the organization's insane growth, providing leadership in particular around its mobile solution. And he's now their VP of Marketing. He's an elected board member of the Digital Analytics Association, also known as the DAA, and an adjunct professor of mobile marketing at the University of California, Irvine Extension. And he's affectionately known as the best hair in the analytics industry. Please help me welcome my great friend, Eric Feinberg. Hello, Leah. It's so, it is so great to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it is my pleasure. By the way, I think it's no coincidence that this episode number is 007. I just realized that. That is particularly cool. I think I'm going to never forget that, and I'm going to advertise that. Okay, great. Wonderful. So um, to get started, if you remember, we met about seven years ago, and I think it was the eMetrics conference, if that's right. Definitely eMetrics. Okay. Yeah, that's when we met for the first time. I, it, Yeah, it was such a, a great time. We were all just kind of getting to know each other and meeting all these different people that were all still friends with so many of them. So it's been a, it's been a great run since then. Oh, I but know. I remember that very well, of course. It's like a family. I, I love it so much. And, you know, that was... I was just getting started in analytics at that time. And, you know, I was immediately struck how approachable you were. And yet it turned out that you were this very prominent member of the analytics community sitting on the board of the DAA and everything. But, you know, I, I think everyone loves to hear how people got their start. So tell us a little bit about how you fell into the whole analytics thing. You know, what's your origin story? Yeah, you know, 
When I first started, I was um, in consulting, and I did a lot of user experience consulting, which is basically heuristic analyses of websites back then, and best practices, and you know, kind of gut feel of how things how things look, and presenting that information out to executives at these fairly large companies who were building these massive sites at the time. And this is back in the in the late '90s, where you know web best practices were just coming on the scene. You know, the iPhone won't be invented for another, you know, five, seven years. It's, it's just an amazing early stage time to get into an industry. And what I recognized very, very clearly is that as I was presenting these insights to these executives over the phone or in person, they were listening like really <laughs> intently like, because they didn't know. And we, as this you know, organization, it was called Vividence. It was a customer experience kind of a usability company uh, back in the day. Uh, we knew more than they did because we had the consulting you know, chops to have talked with a lot of different folks. And I got the bug. I caught the bug right there. I just knew that we were at the early side of something and it ended up becoming called analytics and web analytics and then now digital analytics. But getting involved early with something is... It has that snowball effect. You feel like you're part of something early. But then when uh, 4C called uh, and I started working here, I really started to see what I see now, which is that analytics is so much about intuition and, and, and gut feel and excitement ab about the industry, but it really has to be rooted in science and you know the deep analysis that, that comes along with you know, reporting mm -hmm. you know, a, a very, very important strategic data for, for clients. And so uh, I, I haven't looked back since. And, you know, when Jim Stern started the eMetric Summit, I was at the, the second one of those in Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. wow. you know, that's really where the friends and the family part of it came up. And you know, I just I, I knew I wanted to be a part of it. And I'm just forever, you know, constantly thankful that I was welcomed in and that I am part of the DAA board now and just being able to be a part of the industry as 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 a member, as a participant, and now a little bit as a leader, it's, yeah, I'm just, I'm so thankful. I, I, I love our industry and I know we've got so much more yet to go and it's just a fun ride that we're all on now together. That's awesome. Um, so what did you find challenging about presenting your insights, especially in the beginning? Context. People didn't have the context to understand even what I was talking about when we were talking about the web analytics data that we were bringing in, whether it was clickstream analytics or whether it was a heuristic analysis or a usability best practice thing that I was doing. They needed much more context to understand what they were even seeing before I even started presenting it. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, I erred on the side of being uh, overly um, – uh, over communicating about what it was that we actually had evaluated the process that we did to evaluate it and then ultimately got to a point where I got people to stay in the room okay okay we get it we understand how how that happened because I needed that to happen before we can get into any meaningful data mm -hmm. so that might have changed probably has changed over over the years as people become more and more familiar with data and analytics but how you arrive at the data the method by which you use to collect and analyze it is still important. Mm -hmm. And I found that early on giving people an excuse to ask questions about how uh, it was collected or how you decided to come up with this analysis is important mm -hmm. because the more senior the executive, the less likely they are to ask you a question about how this process was created. 
because they're not going to want to look bad in front of their peers. Mm. So they just let it go. And that doesn't do you any, any good as a presenter, as a communicator. And, and so the idea is to give them permission by being very, very elementary about it at the beginning to uh, ask questions about it and make sure that everybody's on the same page there. Do you have any tips for facilitating that dialogue, cluing them in that they're in a safe place to answer these questions, ask these questions? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, the easy thing is to have a single slide early on visually representing the, the process. I mean, I'm not talking about a visio you know, systematic diagram mm -hmm. of how the data is pulled in and around, but I'm talking about three boxes with arrows pointing in between them that says, you know, we got this stuff from the customer, we aggregated it here, we applied some sort of scientific rigor to it, and, you know, now we're going to read out those results with, you know, our... Uh, our, our filter, mm -hmm. you know, your, your team, people you hired to do this is filter and give them that opportunity to understand it. So that raises your profile, uh, the presenter, but it also gives them this opportunity early on, very early on to, uh, to ask about the process. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very nice. So did presenting come naturally to you, just the, the art of it? Um, or was that kind of a slower evolution because the first time I saw you present I was really struck by how naturally it came to you uh, where I've seen others um, struggle with that a bit and just how well you interacted with the audience so can you speak to that yeah it is um it's a byproduct of how I grew up I just am a people person I'm the youngest of four brothers I was always you know in, in the mix when it when it came to you know making things happen or playing sports or doing those kinds of things. And I think how you grow up, you know, dictates a lot of your professional persona. And I think you can break out of that if you want to. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was a natural thing. I love communicating with people and, and getting everybody on the same page. You know, I'm a people person and a problem solver. And, you know, when it comes to these kinds of meetings, you know, it's it's as much about communicating what the the data says and what your presentation says or the, the ideas that you want to communicate but it works for me to think that everybody in the room is just a person you know they're just a they're just somebody who you could very well meet at a cocktail party or at a bar or, you know on a subway wherever and striking up a conversation and just finding common ground is easy you know, some people talk about the weather. That's an easy one. Some people talk about their kids. I do that all the time. That's an easy one that is very genuine and true and pretty universal, uh, you know, in certain situations. Um, but, you know, e even if it's something that is a personal thing of yours that people can can glom onto, like uh, I can tell a quick story at the beginning about how this slide reminded me of a, a time I went to Disneyland or, or, or I went to a soccer game mm -hmm. and people are like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I've, I've done something like that before. And you just kind of open up the communication, make it less binary, you know, less, you know, unidirectional from you to them mm. and more bidirectional and getting them to start uh, sharing information, not necessarily about the data, just kind of a, a warming up. There's actually a great book uh, that my friend Stephanie Palmer wrote called Good in a Room. Mm hmm. Good in a room, goodinaroom.com. They, uh, she wrote this book, and what what she describes in it is the the, the five facets of a meeting, okay. and that the substance of the meeting itself is like the third part of it, third of five. The first two is uh, what she calls deal breakers, and the second thing is r rapport building. Mm -hmm. But deal breakers is when you walk in the room and you like sit at the head of the table, and you're you know you're an, 
the analyst and you're trying to come in and present, you just don't do that kind of stuff. So there's so many things that just the architecture of a room will dictate mm -hmm. that you sit here and do that and, and, you know, welcome everybody. But the second part is rapport building. Mm -hmm. It's okay to take time to build some rapport, even if it's just to learn about who's in the room with introductions or tell a little bit about yourself or why this project was of interest to you before you get into the data or that this was one of the most awesome things you worked on recently. Mm -hmm. It's okay for them to get to know you a little bit because then they'll be a much more warm and welcoming to asking questions and being receptive to the data. Right. You know, that's a really good point. I, I've been asked before, does your approach work with very stodgy types of audiences um, or very math oriented? And I say, you know, all the principles I use recognize that they have a human brain and they are people and they're probably going home and watching Breaking Bad or whatever, Game of Thrones, <laughs> whatever is out now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they're probably doing that because they are real people. Um, they do love stories. They love a rapport. And I've used that to break through with a, even some of the most stodgiest audiences. Absolutely. And, you know, I think they are certainly just people. But the characteristic that plays best with those kinds of people is great preparation mm. and knowledge. Mm -hmm. That plays at, that plays across all audiences, all, all audiences, but especially those folks who are a little bit more stodgy and just want to get down to bit, get into the business, and that's fine. You know, if you if they want to get going and you just want to you know crank through the data, then you just go through it. Uh, but great preparation is the ultimate in uh, presentation skills training. Is that it's hard to teach that, but it's uh, I find that to be the most important to know the answers to the three other questions about that particular slide that you chose not to put those data points on because they might come up, you know those answers. I think being prepared for those stodgier audiences is, is the only way to do it. Otherwise, you know, they're going to back into a corner and they're going to feel like they won that, <laughs> that, that, that meeting. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's one of the first things that Jim Stern said on episode uh, five. Um, was that preparation is literally the key to walking in there feeling like you're not going in front of a firing squad. And I think that's probably oh, yeah. one of the things we don't make time for the most because we don't have the tools to learn how to do it effectively. And we feel that we'll just wing it when we get in there. And I don't know, I've just seen that as kind of the beginning of the end. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, uh, I love it that you enjoyed the first time you saw you know me present and we've presented at the same conferences you know you after me and me after you you know number of times since then so so i get that you know we we both have our own styles mm -hmm. but what you don't know about me before i go on is that i'm extremely prepared in in a way that most people don't see but that's good because yep. i wouldn't have it any other way but when i walk in the room or walk up on stage, all of that preparation, you just have to own it. And I actually, I'm one of those people who takes their notes and, and, and leaves them on the seat, mm -hmm. you know, or leaves them under the lectern and doesn't use them because I want it to feel a little bit more natural. So everybody might not do that approach, mm -hmm. but being able to go into a meeting and it's okay to have notes. It's okay to have a script for certain parts. There's nothing wrong with that if you want to get it right. And that's yeah. the way you need to get it right to start with. That's a-okay. People actually appreciate that kind of stuff. What they don't appreciate is when you're not prepared and then it's just a waste of time. And time is, is valuable. 
not just to you, to everybody. I totally agree. Um, sometimes I've put my notes in the notes section of the PowerPoint, and mm-hmm. I've sometimes had to read from them. But in a very natural, I write them as if I'm speaking. I don't write them. Oh, my God. We do the same thing. <laughs> I never knew that you did that. That's so true. <laughs> when I write my notes, it sounds like me. Mm-hmm. And like when I write emails to people, they even say the same thing. They're yep. like, you sound like you in your emails. I'm like, I wouldn't want to sound any other way. It's like an accusation almost. <laughs> right. But in, in the PowerPoint notes, it's exactly right. And, and I'll tell you, like for those of you out there that are listening that do webinars or do phone uh, presentations primarily, believe you me, at the beginning of my career when I was doing these phone meetings, I literally had a printout of what I was going to say on this slide mm-hmm. and this slide and this slide. And it wasn't too long or laborious or mm-hmm. scientific. It sounded like me. I just knew I wanted to hit this point and this point and yep. this point. So if you do have, you know, sometimes people think it's a bad thing to be presenting on the phone. Oh, I want to be in person. Use the media that you have to the best of its ability. The fact that people can't see you, mm-hmm. amen to that. Mm-hmm. Use that. Use scripts. Use some, you know, cues that you can have. Yep, totally. It totally worked for me. With the level of preparation I was able to do, and people told me after it felt so natural, and I knew that that's what I had to do for me. I don't do that with every single one. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not able to, but I totally agree with you when people say, don't write a script, just feel natural. Well, not everyone can do that, you know? Yeah, yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, um, I've taken presentation skills training uh, a few times, Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that I want to take yours if you <laughs> offer it. Um, plug. Please do. <laughs> um, but in the presentation skills training, you know, they teach you some universal things that are absolutely good to know. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes they're just like, yeah, be yourself or something <laughs> like that. You're like you, you, That's hard. You, yeah. you can't just say that and expect that to work for everybody because it's not like people don't want to be themselves. It's just some people get nervous. Mm-hmm. And so like – they should teach you at these things ways to get around being nervous. One of them is to provide a script for yourself if you're on the phone. Mm-hmm. Another one, which is what I do, and I can't believe I'm telling you this, it's only because we're friends that I'm saying this out loud, is mm-hmm. before I go up on stage, I do 22 push-ups. <laughs> 22? <laughs> yeah, in the backstage area. And only one person, Greg Kobaleski, our events director person, <laughs> has ever seen me actually do them. I usually just sneak away and people are like, where's Eric? And then I'm just like, I'm back and I'm like jumping up and down. I'm ready to go. Some people listen to a song mm-hmm. before they go on. Some people listen to their uh, video uh, or watch a video of their kids playing. There's a lot. I've seen a lot of different people do a lot of different things. But if nervousness is part of people's issues with presenting, there is ways around that. And the best advice I can give uniformly for it is just mess with your, you know, the, the process mm-hmm. right before you go up on stage. So it's listening to the song right before you walk in the room. Do the push-ups right before you go up on stage because yep. it's really the body that's giving you the nervous feeling and you can mess with it by pushing adrenaline through the system. That is just so funny because if I clued you into my pre-presentation <laughs> psych-up routine, yeah. I, I actually do a half hour of yoga with, it, complete with like handstands and all kinds of inversions to, to oxygenate my brain as much as possible. There's total science behind that. Um, I'm loving that. But that sounds great. Med- I can't do that, but I'm, I'm liking the idea of it. <laughs> uh, meditating, deep uh, breathing exercises, um, all kinds of different things. And it's amazing, though. It's different for everybody. Yep, totally. And, but something's going to work for each person. Right. And 
nervousness is not a reason to not want to be in these meetings and be the star and be the communicator. It's overcomable. Absolutely. Totally. So, you know, in that vein, for someone that presenting and confidence doesn't come so naturally for, um, would you suggest other things you've learned in presentation training or what other things could people keep in mind? Yeah. So uh, as natural as sometimes people say that, you know, what I, how I present is, which is such a great compliment. I am constantly thinking about the things that, that I've learned and that I know about myself. And this is true in meetings when you're sitting down. It's true when you're standing up at a, uh, at a podium or when you're walking around on a stage. But standing up straight, I can't believe that like I'm saying this out loud because it's <laughs> such a simple thing. But it, it, if you watch presenters, they, they list back and forth like a, like a, like a ship's you know, mast mm-hmm. you know, when they're speaking a lot of them. It's hard to watch. And so standing up straight or sitting up straight in your chair mm-hmm. while you're presenting and not moving and just speaking – is is the biggest yep and then the other thing that i think about all the time is especially when in a sit-down meeting when there's a lot of interaction and you're you know saying things that people are asking you're responding to them it means a lot to turn your entire body and face the direction of the person that you're answering their question for Mm. it for them it means that you care that you care enough to turn your entire body. So just craning your neck over, if you're like looking at the PowerPoint screen and everybody's, you know, looking that way, to crane your neck back and say, yeah, you know, it's this, this, and this, or R square this, and then you just, it doesn't, nobody likes that mm-hmm. in the room, but especially the person who's being asked the question. If you move your whole body, recal, you know, replace where your feet are, and underneath the table, nobody's looking, but your feet are facing towards them too, mm-hmm. and then you give them a direct answer, there's either a response right there or just, great clarity given and they love that so that's the second thing um and then my pet peeve uh especially with analyst presentations <laughs> is that they don't uh the analysts that I've I've worked with and none of them do it anymore of course is they don't introduce themselves mm. but how could that be <laughs> so analysts sometimes just assume that they're there to present the results and that is maybe true but it should by no means be why they're there they're there for personal eminence to create a better brand for them internally and to be the go-to expert for whatever it is that they're presenting in their company or industry. And so this means simply introduce yourself and make both of your names separate things. For a long time I was saying, hi, I'm Eric Feinberg and I'm blah, blah, blah. And it, now <laughs> I, I'm, I'm Eric and it stops and Feinberg. So from a, oh. an, analy- an analyst presentation standpoint, saying both of your names as two separate things and really giving it the credence that it deserves because, you know, you are you. I mean, these are the, there's a reason why you're in the room there. There's a reason why you were hired, the reason why you decided to analyze that data set and and present it here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I am Eric Feinberg. I am, uh, you know, vice president of marketing at 4C. And today we're here to discuss, you know, the results of our, you know, our summit and how successful our, our, our company summit was this year and, and just put it out there with intention that that's mm-hmm. what we're here for. And then you can move on and talk about everything else that you've prepared, but you can't forget about yourself. You don't need a slide for it, but you need to make <laughs> the time for it. Oh, you are speaking my language right now because 
you know, it's funny, I, I attended this uh, women's leadership training a few years ago. And one of the first things they taught us to do was to introduce our personal brand statement first. We had to come up with a personal brand statement and then say our name because our name had no meaning until we had attached a brand statement to that. And mm-hmm. I, I haven't been able to put that into play. I, I don't know. I feel like that might be a little bit awkward. But I like how you're saying, like, give some eminence to your name. Start really strong. And I mm-hmm. have to say, I love that you're stating the objective of the meeting right after that, where I feel so many meetings start with, hi, everyone, so we're going to do this data. And then yeah. it's really unclear why we're all there taking our precious time. Right. Right. I, yeah. We're, 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 we're vibing here. I'm, I'm with you. And <laughs> stating that the, the goal of the meeting is, and then it is also okay to say, and we've got some really great stuff, you know, uh-huh. for you. You know, let, let's get to it. And now everybody's kind of leaning forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. They're not multitasking, although they will. Um, I guess a quick aside on that. People multitask. Yeah. They are going to check their phone. They are going to re- reply to instant messages and emails. And and what I realized, because I used to get annoyed by it, mm-hmm. what, I re- what I realized is it, it it's not up to you. Mm. You know, like they might have an emergency at home. They might have to, you know, take care of something. Somebody might have to go home and they have to cover for something. You never know what it is. Right. But but the the overarching kind of concept that that again that I think about all the time in meetings, large and small, is that the burden of listening is on the speaker. Mm-hmm. So it's up to you as the speaker, the communicator, to make sure that everybody is engaged. That's by changing the tonality of your voice, you know, and making it interesting, <laughs> but also making sure that, you know, 40% less slides and, and then a couple other, you know, you know, basic things to really just keep the interest. So totally. I mean, some of the stuff that I teach that you saw in the summit presentation I did a few years ago is about tapping into the principles of attention of the human brain. And I have definitely noticed ever since I've done that, I've noticed a dramatic decline in the multitasking during meetings. And it is really hard. It's something you have to practice at. You have to learn a lot about cognition and what keeps attention, but it really can be done. But you're right. You also have to just not get too phased by it. I mean, I've, I've seen people actually kind of lash out at the audience for doing things like that. And then it's just not a good situation. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's like, okay, change tack, brighten up that voice again. Like you said, change your voice, (laughs) Um, you know, move on to the next topic. Maybe people are kind of over it. Um, So couldn't agree more. Yeah. And uh, while we're on the subject, some, some ways that, that it's good to engage with, with, the human beings that are across the table or down the table from you is I like to use analogies a lot and especially familiar analogies in unfamiliar places. Like it's not common to talk about nature when you're talking about, you know, um, you know, analytics Mm -hmm. or, or reviewing a data set, but it seems to me to be natural because I use it all the time. Like for instance, customer journeys, which is, is pretty hot, you know, at this time, it's, we're talking about nature there, this idea of customers migrating from a channel to a channel and moving around and making decisions in different ways. So why not paint that picture 
visually or verbally mm. and really connect people with that kind of thing. And, you know, other examples of that are um, a lot of times there's sports analogies that are thrown about. I'm, I'm, I'm not the greatest at those, but <laughs> me neither. Yeah, but instead of like, you know, you're talking about conversion rates, you know, you can just equate that to a batting average or, or at-bats mm. or shots on goal if you're in the UK. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I use I use art a lot in it and, you know, and sometimes bringing in the actual paintings in some in, in some of the slides, like you would do like a, a Surat pointillist painting to talk about data accuracy mm-hmm. that, you know, this might not be exactly the full crystal picture of what we're seeing, but it's, you know, pointillist to the point where we really are starting to see it, but we need additional resources to take that next step and really make it a photograph. And bringing people along with those analogies is hard, but once you kind of get the hang of it, it really does help to, to brighten up the, the kind of audio content that people are hearing. I definitely hear you. I haven't done that as well in uh, internal data-oriented meetings, but I do have one in my Get Their Attention session about why bullet points are killing your presentation, and it's the whole shop, uh, supermarket shopping cart analogy where bullet points kind of shove all your items through checkout at once instead of having them scan things one at a time. And I found that when I related it, when I was initially telling people, like, bullet points are just not good, they were like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't really know why. I'm just going to keep doing it. But that analogy really helped people understand the mechanics of what was happening. And mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to have to think about how to do that with internal meetings. That's an amazing tip. Yeah, I, I like the supermarket one. <laughs> it's food-related, too, which is, is a win-win for me. <laughs> so, um, you know, you talked a little bit about things that analysts, um, that you see analysts do wrong. Is there anything else you can point out, like pet peeves that you have, like, please don't do that? kind of thing. Yeah, there's one. And it's probably the biggest one. It's the biggest tip that I give to anybody who's presenting uh, in meetings. This is not useful, of course, for people who are presenting on stages. But when you're presenting in a meeting, which is the lion's share of what we're talking about here, analysts need to give the floor to the highest ranking executive in the room I hate, I'm not using that other word, highest ranking executive in the room and give them permission to talk and say things like, is this what you expected? Mm. I thought this was very interesting and could really help our business. What do you think? Mm. And give them, a, again, a long runway to, to open-ended question, not closed-ended, and give them an opportunity to speak. The earlier in the session, the better. Okay. Because the rapport building will hold you through for a little bit, but then you're going to get into the meat. You know, you got to talk about the the what what you're there to talk about. Mm-hmm. But waiting till the end is not I'm not a fan of that. But giving an executive, and it doesn't have to be the highest ranking person. It could be somebody, <laughs> anybody. But getting getting people, at least one person to talk, make, means that everybody can talk after that. Getting one person to talk and giving them the floor, is is not only something that they want because. People who are in, in, in bigger positions at companies are great at talking, and they're mm-hmm. often really good at it. Look, I don't think it's a bad thing that you know you would give somebody the floor just for the sake of it. You're getting it so you can get better context to say, am I nailing it right now? Mm-hmm. Or is this something that they're going to say, you know what? I did expect that. I did my own back-of-the-napkin analysis on that with an export from you know <laughs> Adobe last night, and I got to the same thing. 
now you know that you've got somebody who you can really win with because they're in it and you can just go you know deeper into the analysis but they might have said you know what i wasn't expecting that why do you think that is and of course you're going to be ready for answers to that but making the conversation bi-directional sometime during the meeting but not at the end mm -hmm. is the biggest peeve that i have that i don't see but the easiest thing to remedy for folk. <laughs> so it's so funny. I literally just did that for the first time uh, in a recent presentation that was actually presenting 4C data, oddly enough, Ooh. where we... Nice plug. <laughs> like that, huh? So we had just gotten to a particular point and I was legitimately curious if this was in line with what they had expected because there was this big buildup of finding out um, the news on that. And... I was I was actually pleased to hear like they were like oh yeah this is definitely in line so it felt like they were validating their audience a bit but then later on similar thing they were very surprised by some of the stuff but stopping to ask them how how does this line up with your expectations was a huge discussion point for us and was like the most productive part of the meeting yeah and and that's really the secret is that as much as you can do the preparation and be great at it. You know, sometimes people categorize the best meetings they've ever been in were where you got to a slide or two and then just talked mm -hmm. about it and really had some meaningful dialogue uh, about, you know, your findings. And if that's where you got to in your meeting, and you know, that's where I think a lot of uh, analytics professionals can get to. The reason why they're not getting to it is not because the, the dialogue isn't isn't happening. It's because they don't even open the door. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in order to walk through that door to great dialogue and, and more access to these executives and more personal branding and personal eminence building, mm -hmm. you got to open that door. And, and that's just by inviting somebody to to give you some feedback on it. And it's OK if they say, hey, you know, it's what I expected. Exactly. Next slide. <laughs> You're OK with that. It's OK. You just move on. And I think it's great that if you're kind of encouraging the highest ranking person to start that dialogue, other people will probably get a little more brave to offer yeah. their own opinion. Definitely, definitely. So that's actually a good uh, segue into the 4C realm. Um, you know, I've, I've presented voice of customer data a lot in my career, and it is not easy. It, it's complex, and I shouldn't say that it's not easy like it's difficult. <laughs> it's there's a there's a strategy to presenting this kind of data because there's many different facets to it and um you know it it can sometimes be tough to explain for someone who's new so what would you say are tips for helping something that might seem complex how do you break that down well for a lay audience i think deconstructing uh complex concepts is probably the, the hardest thing that analytics professionals do. It's hard to make things look easy, yep. but our goal is to, you know, have it to be easy to understand for these folks. Um, so in the 4C uh, world where customer experience analytics and, you know, survey results using science and, you know, measurement to be able to get to these, these insights mm -hmm. is, is, is kind of hard for some people to wrap their head around. I always find it useful to, um, do, to do two things. Hmm. First is to say that uh, is, is to bring in a kind of a methodology slide, as I had talked about before. Mm -hmm. It's important to showcase that there are building blocks to customer experiences like look and feel and navigation and satisfaction and uh, likelihood to recommend and 
visualizing them in a way that people can understand, oh, right, right, I'm, I'm a person, I use websites, these are facets <laughs> that I can, that can be measured. Mm -hmm. And that methodology kind of slide really, really helps. And, okay. you know, of course, 4C has a patented model for that. Sure. But the, the second thing is when you, when delivering the results, bringing in imagery, like a persona or something that this finding that we have is evocative of this kind of persona persona and you name that persona and you give them a characteristic like they're they're a prospective client and they're almost you know with us and they're 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 having difficulty making a decision because this this and this and having a visual cue there is really important the science of the data and the quantitative part of it will take you only so far mm -hmm. The benefit of voice of customer kind of data is that you have this verbatim information, which is really the, the, the treasuriest of treasure troves. <laughs> and if you find a really good verbatim, you make it into a 150-point font, mm -hmm. put giant quotes around it, put it right on the smack dab center of the side, slide next to the, you know, the person's face, and you say that this is what they say. Mm -hmm. And then you have the aha moments. And at that moment, you can choose your own adventure. You can continue on that path and go through to, to some recommendations that are hopefully very actionable at that point. Or you can go back into the science and go back into the quantitative. And, and because you've already, you just earned the trust that, oh, I got it. This is, I am feeling the heartstrings of my customer's pain. Ah, you know, what do I do about it? And then you can go into the remediation step, steps that you might have. Um, but I think it's really important to go quant, qual, and then, in, you know, and you're the best at it, you know, so <laughs> to do a lot of the visual imagery to support that. Because what you're presenting, especially voice of customer data, pairing the audio and video, you know, what you're saying mm -hmm. and what they're seeing is super, 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 super important. Mm -hmm. um, they have to be really, really connected and they have to be additive to each other. That's a one plus one equals three kind of value prop if you do it right. Totally. So I definitely have used that giant quote with a photo of a person looking frustrated strategy and that works so well so I would recommend probably every company investing in just a couple of really nicely taken frustrated photos <laughs> frustrated people photos mm -hmm. um, for use like that that could look like their customer I, I would say that's a good investment. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned video. So I also want to talk about presenting session replay. I'm sure this is, you know, a very effective tool during client presentations because they're actually seeing what people are doing. So can you speak to that a little? Certainly. Um, you know, just like when you're watching a movie and people are eating popcorn and then like something you know, in a horror movie happens and they're like, oh, I can't believe that. You know, you want to have that kind of experience. So yeah. session replay, of course, is the technology that allows you to recreate the mouse movements and screenshots from an individual session across web and mobile devices and apps. Mm -hmm. And the best way to present that in, in our experience is through highlight reels. Okay. Not to take somebody through this very lengthy process, which might take, you know, five, ten minutes, you know, of a, of a user experience, but instead to set the stage and then have a little bit of a ramp to get to it and then have the I can't believe it's not butter moment. <laughs> I can't believe that just happened. I can't believe we built our site and it broke like that. It's crazy. And the, there's so many of those in the in the session replay, um, you know, data data store that. It's, it's relatively straightforward to find them, but you do need some talent internally to do some 
some of the, the highlight real stuff. Of course, you know, when you're a client of 4C, we can do that for our clients, but it's something that really, really helps. And if you see it just one time, people, that's typically enough for most people. But if you can get a highlight reel of a few different issues, it really does bring the case for, you know, vast improvement to things. But video to me is just another device. It's not the main, you know, course. It's mm-hmm. just another device in the communication process of a meeting mm-hmm. is that you, you don't lead with it. We have this great video today. You might, but you go through the process, you do your intro, you introduce yourself, you have some data, you bring it. And then, you know, when you know that, and you know, kind of middle, not to the end, but the middle, early middle, then you reveal this. People love looking at moving pictures. Yeah. We have a whole culture built around it in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to embed that expertly inside of a PowerPoint and not have to pop in and out and do this whole thing mm. and really just have a fully functional, smooth uh, video. It, it, I mean, we're, we're in 2015 now, Leah, and it's still <laughs> surprising to people when things like that go well. It's true. I know. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I'm talking about as simple as like insert video, load, start automatically, go full screen. And, and like people see that like, oh, my God, that's so cool. That's amazing. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that functionality has been in PowerPoint or whatever you use yeah. for forever. We put people and, on the moon. We can do this, too. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, just being smooth about that and being unapologetic about how smooth you are is something that does not go unnoticed. So I'm definitely putting it on my list to post a tutorial on how to embed video, whether you're doing it from the internet or hosting it on your computer, because I definitely see that as the total Murphy's law applied (laughs) in terms of anything happening with that. Um, So I'm definitely going to put that on my list. So that's a great tip. Thank you. Okay, so do you have any like presentation tools or stuff you use to visualize that you just absolutely can't live without? Everyone loves the tools. You know, I um, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of keeping it simple in in the presentations. So we've got to a point where I've, I work with some great graphic designers mm. uh, in our marketing team at 4C, Kristen and Molly, and they they. We work together collaboratively on putting the presentations together. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a huge fan of big, sprawling visuals as the background yep. and, you know, a handful of words or sentences or even kind of graphs on, on in, in front of that uh, and really redacting, redacting, editing, yes. editing, editing wherever possible. Uh, and so for me, I mean, I'm maybe old school in this way, but I'm a PowerPoint guy. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm great at it. Me too. And and it's um you know, I just think paying for the images makes sense. It does make a difference in the pictures. Mm-hmm. And you know, I got a little bit of a budget for that. So like and I would pay for them on my own if I was doing a presentation as an analyst and really sprucing up, you know, what I was doing to make it look different than others. Mm-hmm. You know, the worst thing in the world for me is is a white background with a, a chart on it. It's it's it it makes me it hurts. It hurts just <laughs> to think about it. So like even just changing the background color from white to like a like a soft blue or like a you know a sage green or something like that mm-hmm. and and having everything on top of that it it makes all the difference mm-hmm. but for me the tools powerpoint big images and then really really great preparation yeah. which isn't really a tool oh yeah you can't buy that um and you know that's actually a really good point about the images 
at in a previous life, we had a graphic design department who actually had an enterprise account with uh, iStock Photo. So mm-hmm. we were able to work with them to get what we needed for our internal presentation so we weren't stealing things off of Google, which can be really scary and mm-hmm. disturbing. Um, all right, so... And, and, and oh. watermarked. I mean, the, uh, the, yeah. the, for, for those folks who are looking for imagery, every if you work at a company that's of size, even a reasonable size, you, somebody has an enterprise license to these things. You just have to find them mm-hmm. and then ask them for a few images here and there. Try to buy them coffee. That's all you need to do. <laughs> right. Exactly. So actually, we've gotten to the very last question. So sad. Um, but this is my favorite one. So think very hard here. So mm. imagine this scenario. You're at an interior design expo walking along. When suddenly you trip and fall into a rip in time and it transports you back to the precise moment before your past self is about to walk into your first presentation as an analyst. If you could stop yourself, what would you say to you? Man, that's an awesome question. <laughs> I would uh, I, I would probably smile really, really big because <laughs> that's such a cool thing. Um, well, I would say to myself would be, uh, I'd kind of put my hand on my own, you know, shoulder, looking at myself, you know, dead in the eye, and I would say, "Slow down, slow take down. a deep breath, smile, be thankful. This is going to be a great meeting because if if I can tell them what I know already, everything's gone pretty well since then because you worked really hard and you know done done your preparation and research. So I would just say, enjoy this, you know, smile, get to know these people, and uh, you know, just." Just enjoy it. I, I think I would, yeah, slow down, deep breath, smile, enjoy it. I love it. Thank you for that. So that is all the time we have for today. Eric, thank you so much for being on the show. I cannot believe how much insane value you dropped. <laughs> it was like fire hose times 10. Um, and just so great to have someone that's so well-known in the industry talk about you know your start and everything. So if you want to keep track of Eric, you can find him at Eric Feinberg on Twitter. Um, any other places you'd like for people to follow you at? Yep, uh, the blog at 4C.com. I'll be posting to there frequently. And um, you can always connect with me on LinkedIn. It's uh-huh. my favorite place to kind of uh, drop things like when I'm when Leo launches this. I'm going <laughs> to post it there. Well, thanks for that. Um, and thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming. I loved it. It was awesome. I'm psyched to be on the Present Beyond Measure show. Thank you so much, Leah. Wow. I expected that to be fun, but I can't believe how many amazing tips Eric shared with us today and let us in on all of his little insider tricks and everything. If you ever have the chance to make it to the 4C Annual Summit to see him speak, I really can't recommend it enough. It's really something. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Present Beyond Measure show. I hope you like what you've heard. If you have, please hop on over to iTunes to subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. And please leave a rating or review. Ratings and reviews are so appreciated and they really boost the rankings, which is so helpful. And I'll be reading out my favorite ones on future episodes. To catch all of the resources mentioned in this episode, you can visit leahpika.com slash 007 that's 007 you can review the show notes download a copy to listen on your computer view this transcript 
etc. And I would love if you could leave me a comment or any suggestions because I really want to hear about the challenges you face when you're presenting your information. Or you can tweet me a question for the show by including my Twitter handle, which is at Leah Pika, and you can include the hashtag PBM as in present beyond measure. And you can also find me on Periscope, which is the live streaming app on Twitter. I'm going to be starting to hold some personal conversations with you about data viz, analytics, presenting, and so on. So head to your phone's app store and download Periscope and follow me at Leah Pika. And that way you can comment on my Periscope so we can have a conversation. I can't wait to get to know you better. So today's presentation inspiration is actually from an unknown source, but I think this quote is very fitting for today's episode, and that is, inhale confidence, exhale doubt. It's a good one. Do whatever feels right to you to gain that confidence, no matter how wacky it seems, and very soon you'll be walking out of those meetings and conference presentations floating on air. Stay in the spotlight. Namaste.